This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks. Uh, this is a special episode where we're recording at Microsoft Build in Seattle. Today on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Seattle. I'm Andrew Madsen, and we have a special guest today. Uh, James, will you introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. I'm James Montemagno. I believe this is my third time on iFreaks. You're in the number three club. I am the number three club. So uh, it's a rarefied group. Uh, I'm super excited to be back. When I, when I saw that I was going to be a guest, I was like, I know the perfect topic, exactly what I want to talk about. But if people don't know who I am, I'm a, a principal program manager on the mobile dev tools team. Usually come on and talk about Xamarin. I've been a longtime mobile Xamarin developer. Uh, and we've talked about everything in the, in, the, in the Xamarin landscape. I've been doing that for almost six years now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people kind of know James as one of the Xamarin guys, even before he came to Microsoft. But uh, James has something really cool to tell us about. He's been, we've been talking about it before the show for a few minutes, and um, it seems pretty fascinating. Uh, and I'm going to let him break the name to you because um, it's pretty great. So, James, what, what, what is it that you wanted to talk to us about? So, what I want to break down today is a brand new a product that we're launching. It's an open source project, it's called the Embedinator 4000. Uh, and it, it's so not a joke. This is a Microsoft product called the Embedinator 4000. So it actually falls underneath the Mono uh, open source GitHub organization, so not under the Microsoft branding. So it's an open source run by the community project that we're actively contributing to. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. It's been around for a while, but we've kind of retooled it into a way that we think every single iOS, Android, Mac, Linux, and Windows developer is going to love. And, and by the name of Embedinator, and knowing from my background that one, I love C Sharp and I love .NET, our dreaming goal is to bring .NET to every developer. And we've come in, we talked about Xamarin, Xamarin Forms, we talked about Visual Studio, we talked about all this stuff of writing native apps with Xamarin in C Sharp um, and accessing all the APIs but sharing code. But there's one problem is probably all of your listeners, or a majority of your listeners, may be writing Objective-C or Swift apps, Yep, I assume. Yep, right? I think so. And I go to a lot of companies, and they say, you know, I love the idea of Xamarin. I want to write my next app in Xamarin, but I'm not going to rewrite my current app. Like, that's a big undertaking. And how often are you rewriting apps? Like Overcast, right? Overcast, you know, uh, Marco just rewrote that, I think, for the third time. But, you know, it's been out for a long time. It's a big undertaking uh, to rewrite a full application. And uh, so we said, well, what do you really want to do? And what we are finding is that developers still want to find a way of sharing code. There's a few ways to do it today. You could write a bunch of C++. That's terrible. No one wants to do that, right? Mm, not me. No. No, no one wants no. to do that. I mean, I've written tons of C++. And you can do it. It's going to be great. It's really hard to maintain, bring on new people, things like that. So the embedinator says, we have the ability of executing C Sharp and .NET code anywhere. So what if we enabled any developer writing applications in any language to take a .NET library to write some shared business logic and then 
um, essentially compile that through a tool into a native library that they can then consume in an Objective-C, Swift, Java, or C++ library. And that's the Embedinator 4000. Okay, so this is a C-sharp library you're writing. Mm -hmm. It's not, not Xamarin-based, so you don't need the Xamarin toolkits or anything like that. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah, nothing at all. You could use Visual Studio 2017. Uh, you could use Visual Studio for Mac, which is probably what I would recommend using because that's where the Embedinator lives. But it's just a command line tool. You can run it on Mac or PC. Yeah, you don't need anything uh, besides uh, the ability to write a C-sharp library. So your core, your core Visual Studio or Visual Studio for Mac install will get you there. And then you could write a single library that could be consumed into the other applications. So you're not writing anything Xamarin-specific, right? It's just a .NET library. But this may be your models, your RESTful service calls, maybe your databases, you know, any .NET library. Uh, for instance, in the demo that I showed at Build, I'm actually coming in into a, this like weather fetcher that goes off and in essentially inside of C Sharp, I create a new web client, which comes from our HTTP stack. Uh, I do some string formatting. I go and download a string. I parse some values, some JSON values, and then I return a new like weather result. And then uh, that's my library. So there's a few things that I'm doing here. I'm one, I'm checking conditions, like did they pass in a city and state? Do I have geolocation? I'm doing you know, standard exception handling all right here in C Sharp. So then I run that through the Embedinator, which would then give me a dynamic library on Mac OS, if I'm just doing an Objective-C Mac OS app, or it'll give me a framework for iOS. That's what we support today, and we're gonna be bringing Java for Android and C++ and other libraries online. So, for instance, you were really curious, uh, Andrew, of what it would look like. Yeah, so I, I want to know how, how C-sharp gets bound into Objective-C land. Yeah, so what I have here is just a standard framework. You can see I run this little command line. It's literally a, a command on the DLL. I say, hey, this is the DLL. Go embedinate that, essentially. And it will then convert it and bundle up this myweatherios.framework. So it's a standard framework, right? We've essentially not transpiled it, but inside of there, we're going to be able to execute some of a .NET runtime, because we have a great .NET runtime for iOS, our, our mono runtime, that can then execute this code when you call into it. So it's not like transpiling it. It's literally going to execute the .NET you know, like underlying native code that it compiles down to. So here, it, it looks like a Objective-C API, because it is. I create and allocate a new weather fetcher. I pass it a city state. I go and get the weather. And then I just go ahead and set the, the text properties here. So he's actually showing us code on his screen while we record. And sure enough, it looks like pretty much regular Objective-C. So, I mean, we've kind of seen this thing before. Anybody that's listening has seen this before because we see Objective-C APIs get bridged into Swift or whatever. Um, but I, I'm curious to know sort of how you, how you actually accomplish this bridge. How do you take uh, a C-sharp .NET library and give it an Objective-C interface and allow Objective-C to call into it? So it's a little bit tricky. You know, we have an entire team working on the Embedinator, and essentially each platform, whether it's um, Objective-C for Mac, Objective-C for iOS, or soon it'll be Swift for iOS, will be able to create those specific libraries. We'll each go through their own tooling because obviously the syntax is different. There's some things in C-sharp that don't necessarily exist in Objective-C, like async await programming. So we have to convert that into a call block, for instance, so to give you a callback that's there. Or maybe you'll not write that type of code because you know you're going to consume it in this library. So, hey, I'll kick off a new background thread and then let this happen uh, here. 
So each one of those is going to go through multiple steps. Now, I don't work necessarily on the team that's in doing this, but all the code is open source actually on the GitHub page, which is really cool about it. But you can kind of think of it that it is going to provide the native interfaces and then kind of invoke, kind of almost like P invoking into the, that framework is essentially P invoking into the, uh, the compiled up runtime code that's there, okay. the machine code that's going to be run. Because at the end of the day, everything in your application is ahead of time compiled. It's just machine byte code that's running. And it just knows how to make that bridge and P invoke in. And we do that in Xamarin, but the reverse. Right. So when we right. think of it like our binding system, but in reverse. So in Xamarin, when you say uh, animate or animate async, we essentially are kind of P invoking in a way into that native code for you. It's the reverse of that. Yeah, so this is actually not the first time, at least for Objective-C, that um, Microsoft, I, I know this is the Mono project, but that this has been done because Microsoft has the Windows bridge for iOS, which exposes the Windows um, .NET APIs in Objective-C and also re-implements some of UIKit. Uh, I wonder if there's any collaboration between those two or if these are sort of just completely separate things right now. Yeah, so uh, the bridge applications uh, that you're talking about specifically was really focused on on just more iOS applications and saying, hey, it really for games, I really think was its big sweet spot because that's really just not a lot of user interface, not a lot of UI kit and saying, hey, listen, you just got a bunch of game code. Let's just bring that over to a, a UWP application. The difference here is that is that you're writing C-sharp code, right? Right. This That was the other way around, which right. was, hey, you have an iOS app and I want to bring it to Windows. This is not saying this. This is saying as a development team, when I go and talk to companies, they have a Java Android app, they have an Objective-C or Swift iOS app, and maybe an Objective-C or Swift Mac OS application. And then they also might have Windows desktop applications. And they no longer want to write all that logic three times, but they don't want to rewrite their apps. What they want to do is start taking those core common elements of your business logic that all the apps are doing and write that once that's maintainable and then pull that into this application. So inside of this, I'm going to give you the links to my GitHub where all this code is at, and everyone can run it too. So if I actually look at this Xcode project, uh, I have just a, um, a standard storyboard file that's inside of here. So when I double click and bring up Interface Builder, like this is literally my weather code that's here. So it, it'll go, and I can just enter some things. And then when I click a button and touch up inside gets called, uh, essentially, I just call into that code. So that's the difference, right, is that I'm not porting any application. I'm creating a, I'm creating a common framework, a common element that's going to be running natively on each platform, but I'm first writing it in C Sharp and then embedding it into each application. So you can imagine this is really powerful for companies that are literally doing the same thing over and over again, all their models, things like that. And this also allows a nice collaboration between the other teams that may be C-sharp teams. If you have a web team that's doing ASP.NET development, they can at least start to look at that bridging you know, common code. You know, If the mobile developers are calling their, their mobile API, well, they could just all have one shared mobile API that's being called across each platform. That's cool. So one of the benefits of doing this and one of the approaches that we've been missing as native iOS developers is say like validation. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always the thing that we're that's being sold for like a JavaScript framework. Hey, you've got your validation form for this form on your website. Uh, we don't want a JavaScript form on our native app because it's awful, almost universally. Exactly. Yeah. So this way we can have our string formatting, our validation, that type of stuff in one, you know, doing one place and run it from our own code. 
Yeah. So if I'm talking to my .NET developer on my team, like how do I explain what needs to be done? Like what libraries that are available for this? What frameworks? Yeah. So basically, all of .NET is available to them. So when they go and they're creating .NET libraries, we support um, almost everything in .NET 4.6, which is a large amount of .NET. Uh, that can be um, embedded into your application. So it's essentially the same code that they've always written. And honestly, to a Objective-C or probably a Swift developer, even Java developer, actually looking at that C-sharp common code, you saw it, it looks pretty OK. It, like We just have some different casing and some different things that are there. And if you look at Swift, it's, it's the C-sharp, F-sharp hybrid, I like to call it in a way. So going from Swift to C-sharp is like easy. Because that's also another problem that developers are like, well, I don't want to do Objective-C or Swift and then do C++ and then maybe do some JavaScript. Like, at least in the world of Swift or Objective-C or C-sharp and Java, like, there's some common object-orientedness going on there. The nice thing here is that we have our own garbage collection, everything like that. Like, we have our own runtime that's going to be embedded in there. So, so to add this, so you drag it into your app. I can see it there. Weather iOS framework that appears like any other framework that you'd insert into your app. What else is... Brought in. You talked the the mono framework, which is actually doing the the conversion. Yeah. So essentially, what you'll see that'll come in inside of this framework is a bunch of uh, registers and header files uh, inside of here. So the bindings that get created are all here. So it'll create the header files that will talk and communicate to that framework specifically. So you can literally see the code that we're generating of NS objects and everything like that. We're not hiding anything from you. It's all there. And then the bridge will be there. So there will be a little bit of a, it's executing .NET code, right? It's not just magically making your dot, you know, magically your .NET code work there, but it's going to call in and then based on the different types. So we have ARM32, ARM64, you have your uh, i386 for like your simulators, and then your x86 64-bit um, conversion. So we have all those different registers based on the different type of device you're running it on. So we optimize for each of those platforms that are there. Um, and then essentially, you just add it as a uh, embedded binary, like you would probably, and it's a linked framework that's there. And that's essentially it. And I'll say what's cool here is that if I was to open up the Mac OS application, it's essentially the same thing. You just pull in a dynamic library for that. So it exports the platform-specific code, but the, the, the actual code that it's executing in is the same. Is there, is there, uh, this is a nitpicky thing, but is there a reason you're not using frameworks on Mac OS? So we got dynamic library working first, and that's what's shipping today. But the plan oh, is okay. to bring framework in. Yeah, we want to keep it really simple and do frameworks everywhere. But it was like, hey, what can we accomplish for build and, and make an awesome demo and talk about and get this into people's hands? Because one, it's all open source. And what you're going to see this evolve into is obviously we're going to be adding Swift support. We're going to be adding Java support for Android. We're going to be adding C, C++. So you could take that. You can add Linux support. So we're going to be continuously putting this on more and more platforms. We wanted to get it in people's hands. And what can we ship today? Well, we have we have this running. OK, cool. I, I actually noticed, though, when you were showing us that header, that it looks like everything's annotated well so that it should work. Even if you just use the Objective-C binding, you should be able to use that from Swift now yeah. anyway, right? Yeah, and that's what, you, we, that's what we did first. We said, hey, listen, we'll give you an Objective-C one, because a lot of applications still are Objective-C. Which means that yeah, you could just literally pull it into a Swift application. You have to do that little, the little yeah, yeah. bridging, if you but will. But it's nothing yeah. that we don't already all know how yeah. to do. Hopefully. It's pretty hard to have a pure Swift application. 
yeah. at this at, point, at any size, yeah. you know. Yeah, at this point, that's the dream. I think that uh, there's always. I feel like there's always. I've even talked to some developers recently. They're like, we're at like ninety percent Swift. I was like, that's actually extremely impressive. Yeah. There's always that ten percent that's kind of lingering there, and it's usually because there's some libraries that you're still waiting to upgrade and things like that. So eventually, I think Apple will get there, and, and that'll be an exciting day. Yeah, so I was actually talking to a friend of mine today who is a Xamarin developer. Well, he, he was a native developer. The company he's at now, Exactware, uh, does all Xamarin. And he was saying it would be really great if we could write some stuff in Objective-C on iOS, or probably Swift, actually, but still keep all of this shared code in, in C-sharp because that works really well. And it's kind of impressive. Like You just announced this solution today, and yep. I knew nothing about it but you know, when I was talking to him. Um, do you think there are, are a fair number of teams out there that will do that? I mean, this to me seems like a way better solution than, like you said, C++, which kind of was the common denominator for all platforms before, for li- for just for libraries. Yeah, what we see is, I mean, this is the number one ask that I get. And I, after talking to so many development teams at enterprises, at Microsoft, everywhere that I go, you know, this was the number one ask. And they're like, we're not going to rewrite our app. We're going to be, we want some way to go cross-platform. And the only approaches that are really out there is, yeah, C++, maybe React Native, where you're going to use it for one or two screens. It's hard to write an entire app in React Native. You can totally do it. Um, But if you look at some of the apps that are out there that are even on the React Native site, that's what most developers are trying to do. They have one or two screens that they're trying to share. Um, In this case, we're saying write all of your business logic, and it's going to execute all natively for you. So I think this is a huge win. Now, we're not saying, hey, don't don't use Xamarin to build beautiful native cross-platform apps. But hey, if you still have apps that you want to write, I think everyone should write apps in Xamarin. That's just, I love it. I've been doing it for seven years. I love it. But honestly, I'm not going to... Everyone loves their language. So you love Objective-C, you love Java. But when you're in the enterprise and you're pumping out all these applications, you need a way to go cross-platform. Or even the maintainability of having... I've separated now my business logic out for all of my applications into a common library. That's a huge win. That's testable, maintainable. Uh, and using amazing programming language, my favorite. Yeah, so we, I, I actually worked on a team um, for five years where we were developing Mac and Windows desktop apps and had separate teams with... Uh, the Mac team doing Objective-C and Cocoa and the Windows team doing .NET and WPF. And um, we, we uh, at some point while I was there, wanted to switch to doing a bunch of stuff in shared code. And it fell to one of the Windows developers to write that shared code, but he had to write it all in C++. And, I mean, it worked out from a, a long-term standpoint, but C++ is pretty gross and none of us exactly enjoyed <laughs> dealing with that, you know. The, I think this would have been a great solution for us. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things where I think that's the big win is is you can do it in C++ because everything supports C++, but I used to write Xbox um, 360 games professionally, and that was all C++, and it was a terrible experience, which is why I became a C-sharp developer. Yeah. Um, I will say one more thing. I don't know how much time we have left. Oh, but no, we're good. We're good. Perfect. Because what I want to show you and, and kind of describe to the listeners is that what I've done is I've actually installed them inside of Visual Studio for Mac, and I've installed Xamarin. So inside of here, I have a .NET library that I could embed everywhere, but I've also created a Xamarin iOS library, not a Xamarin iOS app. But this means what I have access to is I have access to all of .NET and all of iOS APIs in C Sharp. So this means if I want to, inside of my C Sharp library, specifically for iOS, is write iOS-specific user interface and access 
native APIs in iOS. For instance, I've created this weather view. So for instance, maybe you want a setting screen, maybe you want something and you don't want to write it you know, multiple times, or maybe you're just more familiar with uh, C-sharp. For instance, your C-sharp developers on the website are creating this great feature. You don't have time in your sprint to implement it, but they can go write this for you. So what I have here is I have an entire, essentially think of creating an entire UI view in C-sharp. So I have UI text fields, UI buttons, but I've also brought in core location in C-sharp. So this is cool because I can add uh, events, touch up inside. Look at that, that's pretty. That's just yeah. how you want to do it, plus equals delegate. So whenever I touch that in C-sharp, it looks very familiar to my Objective-C code. I create a new weather fetcher, I get the results, but I actually update the user interface. If I want to get the weather, I call in and I create a new CL uh, location manager. Whenever the location updates, uh, that gets uh, called and I can start updating location. So now what's cool is that I've created an iOS-specific library that's pulling in my business logic and creating an iOS-specific user interface, but it's a native user interface. So when I go into Xcode and I pull in this library, I still have access to all that, but kind of as a quick hack, I just say, hey, instead of loading my storyboard UI, let me just remove all that and add this new weather view. So literally three lines of code is the only thing that's inside of my Objective-C application. And when I hit run, it's gonna build up my Objective-C uh, iOS application, or it could be a Swift application. And uh, essentially it will start it up on an iPhone simulator. And instead of getting the interface or the user interface that I built inside of, of Interface Builder, it'll just call in and run my C-sharp version of my user interface. And I'll get to where this is going next. That'll really hopefully blow your guys' minds. So here it's just like a, a form. I say get weather and it goes and gets my weather automatically based on the geolocation. But all of the logic, not only for getting the weather, but also getting core location and updating that is all inside of C sharp that went through that embedinator file. Yeah, that's cool. So you're not limited to just the .NET stuff. You've also got the platform specific libraries even in your C sharp. Exactly. Now this kind of pairs nicely when I, I talked about, well, why are people maybe trying to embed a little bit of React native into their application? Well, they want a setting screen, they want some UI. They want some shared business logic, which is perfect for the embedinator. But when we talk about the next evolution of this, which is our cross-platform native UI Xamarin forms, which is great for all sorts of applications, but really good for things like setting screens, a little forms over data, things like that, you can actually write shared user interface for iOS, Android, Windows, and now Mac OS run that through the embedinator, and then pump out shared user interface that you could embed into your Objective-C uh, yeah. Java applications, right? So you can see the, you pick and choose how much of the embedination, if you will, do you want? Just a library? Do you want to create and access some of those native APIs? Or hey, one or two of my screens in my application, I'm going to write that in shared cross-platform native UI with Xamarin and Xamarin Forms. One way to sum up what you've just described is that you're making it so it's actually possible to incrementally adopt C Sharp and Xamarin in your apps. Um, whereas before it was, well, you kind of have to rewrite the whole app, which nobody that has a significant code base is going to have the time or money to do, or most people aren't. This makes it so you can start small. That's pretty cool. Start small. One or two libraries, one or two functions. Give it a try, right? That's the thing is when I start looking at, oh, I need to go implement some new feature. All right, well, try that in the embedinator, right? Now I can take that code, put it on Mac, put it on iOS, put it on Android. And hey, if I have some Windows desktop app, you can use it there too because it's just a .NET library. So what's the development flow like? So if we're in Visual Studio on Mac, 
coding up our Xamarin stuff to make a library, and we want to test it in our actual app, which is running Xcode. How do we? How do you do that development cycle? You have to build the library every time, import it, and run Xcode. That we stuck with that. Are there ways around it? That's a great question. So the developer workflow, the getting started is, hey, you have this library, run this command line, and then drag and drop some files. So that's just the day one. But you don't want to do that over and over and over again. If I actually show you the command, which will look a little bit like this, it's, it's, uh, it essentially says, hey, um, run this Objective-C generation on this DLL, my framework. Um, you know, I'm going to create a framework. It's iOS. And output it in this directory. So my normal workflow uh, that's powerful is that after you compile up, so you'd have two IDEs open, Visual Studio for Mac and Xcode. When you're writing your C-sharp code, you would essentially write that in Visual Studio for Mac or Visual Studio. And on each of the libraries, you can have a post-build step. So when I hit compile, it'll compile your code, and then you could essentially run this command line, and then the output directory would be your Objective-C, iOS, or Mac application. So essentially, you just build it. It'll output it already wherever your application is. So it'd be somewhere side by side in your Git, Git repo. And then when you compile it, it'll run this script. You'll wait 10, 15 seconds. And then it's available immediately inside of Xcode. What about debugging? That seems like a tricky bit. So that's a great question. So. At this point, you're not going to be like debugging across Xcode into Visual Studio yeah, for Mac. Right. That'd be cool. Um, but essentially, just think of it like you're debugging uh, another framework that you don't have the source code to. Sure. But you actually do have the source code to. Well, yeah, you have the source code to it, but it's just not being built by the same tool. So, you but you could still debug it in Visual Studio. Yeah, right? you, yeah. Essentially, what you could do now is think of creating a library, but then creating a unit test around it. Yeah, sure. So then you could test it. You could write a console application. You could write a really easy Xamarin application that is a bunch of buttons that you click to test the native functionality. But if it's just some shared business logic that has nothing to do with iOS or Mac APIs, just create some unit tests with any yeah. unit or X unit, and that's the easiest way. Or command line. Prompt. Well, and you should be doing that anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So if we're all excited to. To get this working, Andrew, you said your friend wanted to do this in C Sharp. What do you need to do to start out? So we got the code on GitHub. How do we integrate that with Visual Studio? Is it integrated? Do we have to do it ourselves? How does this happen? Yeah, so it's really easy. For the first release, uh, we essentially have, when you go to the GitHub page, which I'll give you guys for the show notes, uh, there'll be a nice GitHub pages kind of walkthrough tutorials. We'll have a getting started with Mac OS. We'll have a getting started with iOS. And then as we have more platforms, we'll have getting started. But essentially, let's say you're just on a Mac. That's what I have here, and that's what I'm going to demo uh, at build. Is I just have a uh, download package that I install that'll install the Embedinator and all of the requirements. So the only thing that it actually requires is Mono, which is our .NET runtime on Mac. But when you install Visual Studio for Mac, it'll bring it in. So that'll essentially bring it in for you. And that's it. That's all you really need. You, you install the Embedinator, which will put it into your your libraries, the Embedinator 4000. That's literally, it's inside of library framework, Embedinator 4000. And then you start executing some commands, which are documented. So at this point, it's still pretty developer-y, right? It's not like it's super integrated into Visual Studio where I right-click and say, export to this. But hopefully one day we'll get there where I can say, oh, this is a .NET library, export that to XYZ. And it could because it's literally just a command line tool. Yeah. You, you mentioned that uh, this is actually an open source project under the Mono organization, something that's been around for I don't know how long, but 
it over a decade at this okay, point. Yeah, yeah, so it's not new. Well, I, I know Mono's been around a long time, but I'm not sure how old Embedinator is right now. But what exactly is Microsoft announcing with, with regard to Embedinator? So what we're announcing, uh, if you will, because remember, I came from the Xamarin days. From I was a customer for a long time. So essentially, you know, at, at Build, and I'll, and I'll also have a, a link for the actual recording of where I'm talking about this, so you can see it live uh, as well, is I'm going to be demoing exactly what I just kind of described, is that, hey, the Embedinator is available. It's part of the Mono project. We're actively working on it, and core members of the Xamarin team are working on this tooling to make it a great experience. So part of our core team, we're actively investing in this to make sure that it's good, because we know that all of our Xamarin developers are interested, but every single... Objective-C, Java, C++ developer is extremely um, interested in this as well. So what we're announcing is available. Give this a try. That's essentially it. This is a, like a V1 type of release for Mac and iOS um, Objective-C applications or Swift, and you can pull in the Objective-C library. I mean, you say V1, but there's also in the notes, this project is still under heavy development, probably not mission critical. Yeah, well, that's correct. Or you can do a PR into the readme.io. Yeah, exactly. I think we're going to be updating this too, so you can kind of see the readmes, but we have documentation here. So essentially, this will all be updated with the GitHub page. And it's all in, it's all in CI, so you can see when it's building on Windows or OS X. Uh, and as it's coming in in real time, there's a samples folder, docs, things like that. But it is under development. You know, We want to get the interest. We think that developers are interested in it. And I know that there's a demand, and I know that a lot of your developers that are listening will be interested. And we're looking for feedback. How do we make it better? How do we make sure that it's world class? But honestly, I literally just wrote some code, ran a command, and it worked perfect. Like, it blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, I know companies that are built on JavaScript, native apps running at tons of JavaScript just to get the cross-platform things. And the hoops they have to jump through to get that to work, it's crazy. They're just running, you know, just doing the I've iOS done JavaScript. Once. Yeah. Not a fun experience. I have an amazing friend, one of my best friends, Luke, who is an amazing web developer. He's a web developer. He loves JavaScript. He loves it. I had to write my last company before Xamarin. I was writing a, a Chromium embedded uh, set-top box. And they're like, hey, you got to go write a bunch of JavaScript, do this stuff. Can I do it? Sure. Am I going to enjoy myself? No. Can I go write some Objective-C and some Java code? I can totally do it, right? It's, it's, it's not a huge jump. But it's a huge jump for me to go write JavaScript because it's like I'm almost like switching my brain. Yeah. So that's why we think even if you're an Objective-C Swift or Java developer, writing the shared cross-platform code or someone on your team, it's going to be a delightful experience compared to jumping way out of bounds and saying, now i got to go write some JavaScript and now i got to worry about this V8 engine and how's it going to run right and things like that. You know, this is tried and true. Xamarin, the technology, our runtime has been around for you know, a long time running on you know tens of thousands of applications. You probably have Xamarin and, and, and .NET enabled apps already on your phone. You just don't even know, right? And that's kind of the technology we want to bring in reverse now to say, listen, we really truly want .NET absolutely everywhere, but we don't want to make it a bad experience. We want it to be the best experience. So no matter how you're developing applications, we said any developer, any language, any app. And yeah. this kind of, kind of like brings that to the next level. So... When we're bringing the mono runtime into our app, how large is that? How, how will that affect our app size, bundle size? That's a good question. So it's not like you're going to have to embed the entire Swift language into your application or anything. Um, so with the Xamarin, you know. I almost made a mean comment, but I decided <laughs> um, to. Yeah. You know, what we do is we have an advanced like optimizer and linker. So you're not bringing an entire mono runtime or an entire 
.NET installation, even with Xamarin, what we do is we essentially remove any of the APIs that you need. And the actual mono runtime is actually extremely small. It's usually only a few megs. Um, okay. Yeah, per architecture that's there. Uh, so if you're like, oh, I need ARMv7 and ARMv7s S and you know whatever, essentially those are different runtimes because they're executing code a little bit different. But it's a very small, minimal uh, addition, even in the world of Java or, or iOS. So not as big as Swift. That's the important thing I heard. It's an important thing, yeah. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's it's because it's it only needs to do certain things. So it can be highly optimized based on the code that you're writing uh, which right. at, at build time. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. You know, this whole thing's open source. I think a lot of us outside of Microsoft especially, but, but probably even you, are still kind of getting used to the idea of Microsoft being a big open source supporter because it's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know? I take it, especially since this is under the mono uh, umbrella and Microsoft is, is effectively just a sponsoring contributor kind of, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they've got engineers working on it, but, but it's not their project. It's a community project, right? That is correct. So the Embedinator project started under the mono uh, essential organization. So it's not like we forked it and then that we're just actively contributing to it, just like Mono itself is under Mono, not into a Microsoft GitHub repo. Yeah. So, you know, the license is going to be on there. I believe it should all be under uh, MIT license. It's copyright Microsoft, technically. I'm literally oh, reading this for the first time. Yeah. And I'm assuming it's under MIT, even though it doesn't say MIT, but it should be MIT. So I think that when the Xamarin, and I'd have to ask Miguel specifically on these legality questions, so probably not the best to ask. Well, so it wasn't so yeah. much a legality question as uh, I take it you're, you or, or the project is accepting external contributions. So oh, if you want to submit a pull request or whatever. Absolutely. You know, when Microsoft acquired Xamarin, it was a great day for developers, but great day for Xamarin in general because not being acquired, but also that we can make all of our tools free and open source. So that's why Xamarin iOS is open source, Xamarin Android, our mono runtime, all that is open source. And we actively encourage people to not only be submitting issues, but submitting pull requests to uh, the code cool. base there. All of Microsoft is that way. And different teams work differently. Sure. The nice thing here is that this team is the Xamarin team. And we've been about open source forever, right? We created Mono, the original open source.net you know, yeah. runtime and, and, and framework. So we're all about that open source. And I mean, if you just look at my GitHub page in general, so when you look at, at James on GitHub, um, there is no short of, of me contributing on GitHub. Uh, in fact, I think I'm one of the top C-sharp contributors. Just you know, going to you know, humble brag, <laughs> if you will. But I do it because I love giving back to the community and making developers successful. And that's our goal, is to make it fast, easy, and fun to make great mobile applications, whether you're building it all in C-sharp, using some embedinator inside of your applications, or just looking to uh, pull in a great library. So if I wanted to hack on this a little bit or fix a bug or something, what's the embedinator? What's it written in? That's a great question. So when you go into the embedinator actual uh, source code that's there, uh, it's all just C-sharp code. So it's mostly all just C-sharp code and how it's generated. There's probably going to be some command line and build things that are happening under the scene uh, that's there. But there is documentation to actually getting started and actually pulling it in. So building it, usage, so cloning it, that's all there. And you can literally just open up the uh, Embedinator 4000 solution in either Visual Studio for Mac or PC. And you should just be able to build it, to be honest. So it's all just C-sharp um, to generate it. And, and the, all the command line options are available. Okay. And for our listeners who may be just iOS developers, if you can read Swift, you can read C-sharp. 
yeah. code on it, pretty much. Yeah, it doesn't look like concepts. it doesn't look like Greek or anything. I mean, it's yeah, it's different, but still object oriented. Still have classes and methods, and nothing that just stands out to you as insane. Yeah, you know, it's even me. So I've been doing Xamarin and iOS and Android work for seven years now. And after shipping like 70 applications and having to rewrite stuff and go to Stack Overflow, I can convert C-sharp to Objective-C in my brain and Objective-C to C-sharp in my brain. And Java is easy, right? You just uppercase or lowercase things. And that's kind of then Swift. You know, we have very similar syntax in a way. There's some things that are going to be a little bit different. But when I look at Swift, I, 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 I like it. I like where it's going. No C-sharp. But, you know, that's me because I'm biased. I think everyone loves their programming language. Yeah. But I think it's not a huge leap, like you're saying, to say, oh, if I can write some Swift or I've looked at some Swift, um, I can do some C-sharp. And in fact, we have a guide of the Swift to C-sharp equivalents oh, cool. of what it means. It's this huge doc. If I find it, I'll send it or I'll tweet it out, but hopefully we can put it in the show notes. And it's this huge kind of printout that you could do. It's a PDF uh, image that's like, this is, this is an, a- an attribute or this is a parameter and this is what a method looks like on each C-sharp and Swift. Pretty cool diagram that they did. Yeah, that's pretty useful. I, I sometimes talk about people having sort of native programming languages in the same way that they have a native sp- spoken language. And for me, Objective C is sort of my native programming language. It's not the first p- language I learned. It's not the only one I know, but it's the one I've written by far the most code in. So my brain is sort of wired for it, and it's easier for me to understand a new language if I can kind of start by doing that mental translation from what I know really well to to this new thing I'm trying to learn. You know, and understand the differences and also the similarities. So that's that's a a good tool that's out there. I hope you'll find a link. Yeah, I'll find it. I'll send it. It'll be in the show notes. I'll do that right after we get done recording. Sounds good. Yeah, I agree. You know, I've been a C sharp developer for a long time, but I've written Java apps, I've written Objective C apps, I've written C plus plus. It's where I feel comfortable. And I think what's nice about these languages is as they advance, all of them, they're all kind of picking and pulling from each other in a way like we just got pattern matching in a way not full pattern matching but we got some pattern matching and switch cases and we have some like inline functions that we have now in C sharp so that's what I kind of am seeing in these programming language so even the the syntax may be a little bit different so even the features are kind of coming together when you look at promises and things like that and the async stuff that each programming language is trying to get from C sharp I think eventually, a few years from now, it's it's going to be like, hey, it's not that big of a jump to even go uh, in the features wise between the languages, which is cool. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly a good thing. I, yep. I think, uh, I mean, Apple's actually been pretty open about being inspired by a lot of other languages when they were writing Swift, and so to see um, some of the best things from from all of these languages make it into the others is a good thing for all developers, right? Yeah, I think so. And I also want to point out that. You can be writing these in C sharp or F sharp too, if you're a functional programmer. Oh yeah, just point that out because you can write all these. You can write any. It's just a DLL. It's just .NET code. So my good friend Frank Kruger, who's been on iFreaks uh, before, uh, he's an F sharp developer. He loves it. it's functional. So if you're not, you know, if you, you're a functional programmer, you can do all this in F sharp too. So that's really cool. Kind of bonus perk. Is it just F sharp and C sharp? Um, a- any .NET language? Or? You know, I haven't tried VB.NET. But well, I, bet, I bet it would work. I wonder how many people want to do that. Yeah. yeah. If you want to do that, give me a call and I'll give you some advice. Someone will. We'll, Someone will. <laughs> yeah. We'll put you in a museum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, James. Well, it's been really great to talk to you. I'm actually excited to download this and, and try it out. Um, I, I really kind of love this idea of being able to bridge between two different languages. And so it looks like a fun thing to play with and also something that could be really useful to a lot of teams. So Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Um, before we finish, we're going we're gonna to get to picks. Because this is a special episode for Build, James and I get to skip our picks, and we're just going to have James do a pick this week. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay, so uh, my pick this week is something a little bit uh, different that I've been a member of for a while and I've recently gotten more involved with. Recently, I started a new podcast with my good friend, Daniel Wrench, who's a, a chess international master. And I've always been a fan of chess, but I've always had a hard time learning chess and becoming a master. And Danny and I are good friends. We started a podcast called Coffee House Blunders. You can go to blunders.fm to check it out. We just chalk talk a little bit about chess and technology and coffee. But uh, he actually um, is part of chess.com. So a lot of people are looking to learn chess, get chess anywhere. And the cool thing about chess.com is not just, people might not even know that you can just go to literally go to chess.com. What a great domain name that they've registered. But uh, he helps run it. And they not only just have an online and also a mobile chat thing to do, they actually have chess kids, which is for kids only. So if you're looking to get your kids into chess, but they, what they do is they have like amazing Twitch streaming of breaking down live um, events that are going on. So when Magnus is playing and things like that, they have like, I'm learning so much about chess just by watching these videos and breaking it down. So if you've never gone to chess.com or if you've gone in the past, you're like, oh, I want to play chess online. The world of chess is like blowing up. It's crazy. It's like, like uh, you know, Twitch streamers with video games now. It's just like everywhere. But chess is almost at that level where it's just like everywhere. Uh, and we were watching like the chess um, championship like live and they're breaking down these analysis. So I just recommend like checking it out, checking out their blog because I've been a chess fan. I think developers, all my developer friends are like really into chess, but like I'm not good at it. And I've been learning so much uh, just by watching their videos and blogs. So it's a website. That's my pick. I don't know. Chess.com. Go check it so, out. So I've been playing on chess.com for a little while. I'm not good, yeah, but yeah. That's a, there's a lot more. I just play on the app and play a game every once in a while, but go to the website videos. Is it part of the free tier? Yeah, it's all part of the free tier. When you go to even uh, twitch.tv slash chess, I think that's that's theirs, or chess.com slash TV, they have like weekly shows and they're always bringing it down. Like I just subscribed to their YouTube channel and it's like world-class content from chess grandmasters and international masters. My favorite is Danny, my friend that I do the podcast with. He'll just go on and he'll just start challenging grandmasters on chess.com. But what's nice is they're not just playing chess. He'll do a breakdown of like what happened move by move, like why did he go here and why did he do this? And, and they have like all these statistics. So as a nerd myself and statistical nerd, I love the breakdown and the analysis part of it even more than actually playing chess. So uh, if you're looking to learn some chess, it's, it's definitely good to go check out. Very cool. Yeah. So James is not going to do this because, well, I don't know why he's not doing it, but he has another podcast that has a cool name and I think a lot of our audience would like to. So I'm going to pick it. And that's a podcast called Merge Conflict which he does with Frank Krueger, who has also been on iFreaks, um, also a, a, an iOS developer. Uh, everybody check it out. Awesome. We'll, yeah, thank we'll, you. We'll, yeah. we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while, and we like to cover everything. And uh, Frank's an, he's so smart. It's, it, I learned so, I'm, I'm learning from him just by talking to him because he's so freaking unbelievably smart. But uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll see everybody next week. All right, see ya. Cheers. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.